Welcome to the Travel Like a Boss podcast, the radio show all about traveling like a boss by being your own boss. Stay tuned for weekly interviews featuring guests that have built their own online businesses. If you would like to have access to our entire back catalog, visit travellikeabosspodcast.com for instant access. And here's your host, Johnny SD. Hey, what's up, guys? This is Johnny, and welcome to episode 21 of the Travel Like a Boss podcast. Uh, today, I'm with Aaron Schuhart. Um, what's up, buddy? How you doing? Hey, glad to be here uh, in beautiful Chiang Mai. Yeah, nice. But where are you living at now, Aaron? Uh, so I live in, uh, actually, I'm based out of uh, Chengdu, Sichuan province, uh, China, and I'm just over here on vacation, uh, plugging away a couple, uh, spending some hours uh, working on my business. Yeah, very cool. And you kind of accidentally, like, found this uh, this community. We kind of accidentally met each other today. How did that happen? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think it was just uh, we were sitting beside each other here at uh, Pun Space. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's a cool kind of uh, communal working space in Chengdu. Uh, it's something that I I really hope one day to bring to uh, or bring to Chengdu uh, from uh, Chiang Mai rather here and. Uh, yeah, just see how it goes. But you're not originally from China, obviously. Um, no. I mean, <laughs> I guess people people that can't see the the photo, they don't know, but where are you from originally? Yeah, so I'm originally from uh, St. John, New Brunswick, Canada. And uh, so about a year and a half ago, I moved uh, from, actually, I was living in Alberta in Canada. I moved over to China to start uh, studying Chinese with an intent of building a business in China. Uh, so that's what I'm doing right now. Okay. So, I mean, in today's episode, I definitely want to pick your brain about Bitcoin and how you're making money from that now. But uh, it's pretty interesting that you left Alberta, you left Canada, where there's tons of oil money and there's tons of big profits out there. Uh, what made you What made you leave that scene? Yeah, I think that, uh, I mean, in Alberta, I was working for an oil company and making uh, a very good salary for, for Alberta or anywhere in the world. Um but uh, sitting, just watching the, the dollar figures kind of go up in your bank account wasn't good enough for me. Uh, and, and I think that when, you, when, we're kinda, when you're young, it's better to spend that time investing in a business, even if you're making nothing. And uh, it's, it's better because you're building your, your expertise and you're building your, your understanding. Uh, and then over time, your, your income will grow. Uh, yeah, we were talking about it over lunch. I was mentioning that it took me... I moved to Thailand four years ago, and it took me four years to figure out how to make money from it. But it wasn't, you know, it wasn't just thrown away. You know, it was four years of learning what works, what doesn't work, uh, building up my skill set, and also kind of having some fun and, tra- and traveling while I was doing it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and that, that's where I'm at right now. Um, so I guess I studied Chinese for a year, and then I've been working on uh, building the entrepreneurial scene in Chengdu and working on uh, setting up my, my business and trying to figure out exactly what I'm going to do. Because when I came over, I didn't have any plans. Uh, I just knew that I wanted to start a company, uh, and I needed to figure out exactly what the, the best opportunity was. And uh, it turns out uh, it's in the Bitcoin space. Yeah, you know, it, I really feel like it's going to blow up. Uh, we were talking a little bit earlier during lunch saying that the Bitcoin movement is basically like the gold rush of San Francisco in, was it 1849 or? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, and it's it's crazy. Um, and we're going to talk a lot about, you know, ways to actually make money aside from just buying and selling Bitcoins. Uh, but I'm curious about this entrepreneur scene. And what, Rush, where is Shendu for people that don't know? 
So, uh, yeah, I mean, Chengdu is uh, in West China. So if uh, China was a dartboard, uh, it would be the bullseye <laughs> kind of thing. Uh, and uh, so it, it's, a, it's actually a city of 13, 14 million people. Uh, there's 100 million people in Sichuan. So uh, there's kind of a really, uh, yeah, there's a big market there to begin with. Um, and then over the last couple of years, it's actually become an R&D facility for about half of the Fortune 500 companies. Uh, so it's kind of a hotbed in a sense for uh, hardware production as well. Uh, with uh, Intel is set up there. Uh, they have, uh, I guess, most of the world's iPads are made there uh, with, at a Foxconn facility. And so it, there really is an opportunity there, I guess, to access some of this talent that you know, living in Alberta and Canada, it's really hard to come by some some good uh, engineers. Yeah, it's crazy. I never knew that China had like an entrepreneur IT scene. Um, it's definitely not going to be in Beijing or, or Shanghai. Um, and speaking of which, I mean, those two cities, e- even if I made quarter million dollars a year or more, I, I don't think I would live there. Um, but Chengdu sounds like it's a lot more livable. Yeah, Chengdu is a really, uh, well, it's a relaxed city. I think it has the most bars per capita in uh, in China, uh, and it's uh, or bars or tea houses, and uh, so it's kind of uh, it's known as a lazy city, if you will. Like it's really it's flat. You can bike everywhere within like an hour, uh, just on a bicycle. Um, so the food is really good. Uh, yeah, I've, I've heard of uh, like Sichuan food or Sichuan food. It's supposed to be super spicy but super flavorful. Yeah, and, and there's uh, and there actually is kind of like an underbelly of uh, really interesting people that are setting up businesses and trying to chase their dreams. You know, the only thing that really scares me about living in China is how greedy everybody, I mean, especially like the locals can be in, in regards of wanting to make money and, and not caring really about health or, you know, the overall good of people. Do you do you feel that at all in, in Chengdu? Uh, sometimes it's a little bit challenging with the pollution and that kind of thing, but uh, I think over time it will become better, and uh, and the government's taking some steps towards it. Uh, and uh, but it certainly it is it is a challenge, like uh, having kind of living in a bit of a polluted environment where you've got to wear a, a face mask that makes you look like a character from Mortal Kombat <laughs> in order to go out and cruise around on your bike. Uh, but you know. Anywhere, uh, it has its pluses and minuses, and uh, and I really do enjoy it there in Chengdu. Yeah, I'm glad you found a cool part of China that, that you like to be based out of. Uh, it, I'm actually getting ready to leave Chiang Mai uh, at least for the next couple of months, just because we ha- we actually have a pollution season uh, out here, which which is really end of February uh, to the middle of May. I mean, sorry, middle of uh, April. So it's for those two or three months, uh, it's really smoky and polluted. And it's terrible. It's um, fortunately it's not as bad as like Beijing would be, um, but it's bad enough where you're like, why am I here? Especially when I can go on a vacation somewhere else. Um, so you know, if everyone listening, kind of stay tuned. I'm not. Sure, I haven't decided exactly where I'm gonna go yet, but I'm definitely gonna go somewhere for at least uh, a couple months just just to escape the pollution. Um, I heard a uh, a quote the other day. It was one of those things that people pass around on Facebook. And it was really simple, but I um I posted on my friend's wall, and it basically said. Uh, if you don't like where you are, move. You're not a tree. Bang! There it is. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but that's what's cool about this lifestyle, right? Is we can, you know, we can do this online business. We can, you know, move locations and we can reset up somewhere else. And within days, I mean, we can, or even hours, we can have a network of entrepreneurs, uh, which we're building in Chengdu, and I, and I never even knew existed in China. 
you can have access to co-working spaces uh, and you know everything's set up you don't need a you don't need to rent an office you don't need to set up any infrastructure it's, it's all there uh, what is that like in in Chengdu uh, so in Chengdu, it's kind of in the early stages. Uh, there's a couple really successful startups that have kind of came out of the, they have this place called the Tianfu Software Park is where they, it's a software park where they have a lot of different businesses doing R&D facilities and it's kind of set up like a university campus, if you will. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's a couple of successful Chinese startups that have gone out, came out of there. Uh, there aren't any foreign-based successful startups uh, out of Chengdu yet. Uh, but uh, I guess I've kind of stumbled upon, uh, basically by accident, uh, organizing like a monthly meetup uh, to have entrepreneurs come and talk to each other and just networking and kind of from that starting to build some other like uh, some events and some uh, kind of a community around uh, around the entrepreneurial scene in Chengdu. So I think over the next uh, five or ten years, we are really going to see kind of a kind of a growth there, uh, and hopefully, you know, my business will be one of the successful ones. Yeah, best of luck to that. Definitely, I saw some photos of some of your you know weekly entrepreneurial meetups in Chengdu. Uh, how do people find you guys? Yeah, so we actually uh, well we host a monthly meetup kind of thing uh, where um, I guess we have a couple guest speakers that'll come, and people find us from many different ways. Uh, just from friends or from like online advertising or uh, I just somebody joined yesterday and uh, they said they found us through the uh, lean startup meetups I didn't even know we were on there but I okay, guess we nice. are yeah uh, or even just meetup.com just yeah through meetup.com is the main like center for uh, organizing it yeah I highly recommend that in, no matter what city you're in in the world if you want to meet like kind of like-minded online entrepreneurs just start by googling the city and entrepreneur yeah you know and just start meeting people in person right exactly and the thing that was really interesting for me is like i i i guess i started organizing this meetup just to meet people but then as soon as i started meeting people then more things kind of started started evolving and it's like so we had a human-centered design kind of presentation that uh, a local startup uh, i guess like head designer was interested in doing but his english isn't that good so we did it together and then it was like okay well, you know, if, if you're willing to organize this course, I'll lead a course on human-centered design. And I'm a guy that's really interested in learning how to how to build these products. And uh, and so that's where we're kind of offering this des- free design course to people. And uh, as soon as I kind of started, then other business opportunities just started coming out left, right, and center. Uh, and uh, and that's where I am right now. And that's really like the best way to to get things going is just to meet people in person. And you'll be surprised, I mean, how willing people are to help each other. I mean, I really just enjoy helping people out if I meet them in person. If I meet someone online, you know, I might spend some like, little bit of time, you know, looking at their site and sending them a couple, you know, tips through email. But I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to spend a weekend or, you know, hours of my time helping them if, if I don't really know them. But once you meet someone in person, even if they're, you know, they would normally be a stranger, I mean, people love to help each other. Yeah, absolutely. And that's uh that's something that I found interesting as well is like the I guess through this kind of format I uh, I went out there and I just said, all right, listen, like I, I'm interested in doing business consulting. I'll do it uh, for free. Like I'm willing to help any startup that's that could use kind of like a Western perspective. Uh, and so so I learned some really interesting things working with uh, like a number of different startups, uh, just helping them kind of with some problems that they were tackling. You know the what, what you were showing us earlier during lunch, uh, the the handshake uh, business agreements in Tibet. 
Yeah. That was that is really cool. I never even heard of that. Can you tell everyone listening like a little bit about what, what like what that is about? Yeah. So basically, uh, I guess I was doing some yeah volunteering consulting uh, on a business feasibility for this nonprofit. They were doing setting up some like greenhouses in high altitude, kind of like above. 4,000 meters, uh, the Tibetan Plateau, uh, part of Sichuan. And uh, how they actually do business deals in Tibet uh, is they it's actually a secret handshake. And so it depends on like how many fingers, like, you know, how many fingers and like if you go like a half turn or a full turn or like uh, they, they know exactly how much uh, they've kind of agreed upon where it's hidden under their sleeve. And so for me, like doing business like that is really different, you know, but uh, it doesn't mean it's wrong it's just cool that's crazy so you know obviously you have these your imagination a bit but imagine these guys have these you know big sleeves so when they're ha- uh, shaking hands you can't actually see their fingers and based on the way they shake each other's hands and i guess they probably make some kind of eye contact as well they are agreeing upon a price to be paid for something and i'm sure this used to be for you know selling a goat or selling things like that and say uh, how much were you going to give me this for this goat and instead of verbally trying to argue about it, he, he just does the, the, the secret handshake. I mean, the, the bro shake, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right, so <laughs> Bitcoins. All right. Uh, it's, everyone's talking about Bitcoins now. And, you know, nobody really knows what's going to happen with it. It could be, you know, forever. And it could be it's five, ten years from now. People can just assume like, oh, what, what do you mean? Bitcoins is just another currency. It's like PayPal. You know, people didn't know PayPal was going to be around this long and now everybody has it and it's it's very stable. So that could happen with Bitcoins or it could just die out, you know, and nobody knows. But one thing we do know is there is money to be made in Bitcoins. And you started a company uh, doing basically just that, selling. Yeah, so I guess uh, I've recently entered into a, a partnership with uh, another Chengdu-based entrepreneur. Uh, where we're working on developing, uh, well, initially we're selling some hardware uh, and looking on develop, working on developing our own actual Bitcoin mining hardware. Uh, and so just to give you a little more background, I guess essentially Bitcoin mining is just, you have a purpose-built computer where it's doing advanced mathematical calculations, trying to figure out uh, the solution of the puzzle, and then they release uh, 25 Bitcoins every 10 minutes. Kind of thing and so if you you join into one of these mining pools and if you have one of these computers and you can start making money from the bitcoins uh just by essentially mining so these like mathematical formulas are, th- are these actually solving something that has never been solved before or is it some genius guy you know knows the answers to these and and put them out there so the mathematical formula actually has to do with the security of the bitcoin so they have something called the blockchain which is a long you know, a group of numbers. And in order to hack the bitcoins, you need to figure out what the the blockchain is. Uh, so basically, you have a ten minute window where you can you can hack the current like uh, kind of bitcoins. So uh, essentially, it surrounds the actual security of the currency. That's what the purpose of the mining is. It's so crazy. I mean, whoever invented bitcoins is is much smarter than I. So yeah, me too. <laughs> I'll let them you know deal with it. It, it seems like it works, and it it seems like a, a like. If you think about it, U.S. dollar, Canadian dollar, what is that actually based off of? Really nothing. Like m- really much less than the Bitcoin is based off of. 
Yeah, and this is for me something that's really interesting. Like, I, I mean, I studied economics in school, and so over the period of time, like we've used, they've used all kinds of things for currency. It's been from salt to tea uh, to little, you know, I mean, swords. It can be coins. It can be, uh, it can be virtually anything. And what really matters is though is that you have confidence in that uh, you'll be able to exchange it with somebody else. And so, as long as people do have confidence in bitcoins, then uh, game on. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, obviously there's always going to be a risk in, you know, really in anything. I mean, even the U.S. dollar, there's, there's a huge risk, you know, because we kind of just print that out. I mean, it used to be backed by gold, then they changed it to silver, and then now it's backed by nothing. It's backed by the Federal Reserve, which I, I found out that isn't even a branch of the government. It's actually just this corporation that's there to make money and literally print money. Yeah, I mean, uh, like for me, I don't have a problem with uh, like fiat currencies. And uh, I, I think, I mean, any currency, it just depends on the confidence and based on the current system. I know maybe at some point we'll have a, a big kind of shift, uh, but I'm hoping that we won't have that in any anywhere in the near future. Well, but the good thing about Bitcoins is, I mean, so, so what, what do you think the, the big benefit of Bitcoins are worldwide? I mean, a big part of it is uh, about a third of all the bank's profits come from currency exchange. And so I was just doing some calculations today, uh, transferring some money from my, uh, basically from one PayPal account to another and then transferring it down in my business bank account in Hong Kong. And uh, just transferring it from US dollars down into Hong Kong dollars, uh, we were looking at about three and a half percent. And so that three and a half percent, when you multiply it over a couple currencies, it's really huge. And with Bitcoin, uh, you can actually transfer uh, for as little as 0.3 of a percent or 0.1 of a percent uh, into other currencies. And so it really does give like have a utility function of uh, uh, of being able to kind of escape these uh, the, the banks uh, currency exchange rates. Yeah, I think that's awesome. And especially now that there's a lot of uh, e-commerce stores accepting Bitcoin. Uh, I don't know if a lot of them do it as kind of a, a gimmick to kind of get attention. Uh, but the fact is they are accepting it. And as soon as a company like Amazon or eBay starts accepting it, man, you know it's going to go huge. Yeah, and actually we saw, I think last week here, the uh, the CEO of eBay came out and said he's a believer. And uh, they're working on kind of integrating Bitcoin payment into that platform. Uh, so I think that uh, when we have these big players coming online, hopefully we will have a kind of a sustained change here. Yeah, I like that. Um, so with actual the actual Bitcoins, um, you're selling the hardware. That's right. Okay. And you're also doing some mining on the side. Yeah, that's right. right. And But what we were saying earlier is, during lunch is the real money in Bitcoins isn't just the actual mining of it. It's just like the gold rush back in, you know, was it 1849 or 1949? It had to be 1849. Yeah, I think it had to be 1849. Okay. Yeah, yeah 1949 was like, my, my, my dad was born. <laughs> Pretty sure he wasn't mining gold. Um, but the real money that was made during that gold rush wasn't just the people mining gold. It was all the services based around supporting the people mining gold. Yeah, so- absolutely. And that, this is something else we were talking about at lunch, kind of the, the technological hurdle that there is associated with getting into bitcoins or like mining bitcoins and so uh this is something where my like my business partner and i were working together on uh setting up some i guess writing manuals on how to actually install this hardware and set it up and because it can be technically challenging and so the challenge is is to make it usable and uh and kind of come up with uh ideally what we're working on is an out-of-the-box solution 
where we can have a, a hardware unit that you can just take out, plug in, and, and you're off and running. Yeah. So I actually had thought about, like, so I made a big list of niches I wanted to get into when I was starting my e-commerce stores, and Bitcoin mining machines was on there. But the reason why I instantly crossed it off was uh, for a couple of reasons. One, it's constantly changing hardware, so you always have to stay on top of things. Um, like if I sell, let's say, you know, like a, like a TV stand, that is going to be the same model TV stand for the next 10 years. It's probably not going to change very much. Uh, you're not, not going to update your site. With Bitcoin machines, every, what, six months, every year, you're going to have to, um, you're going to have to basically put out new models. And you're going to have to really stay on top of the hardware. Prices change all the time. So from an e-commerce store owner's point of view, it's a pain in the butt, uh, especially if you want to keep inventory. You know, you don't want to sit on a machine that six months from now is, is going to be obsolete. Um, so, but yeah, so mainly it was, it was that it was, you know, if you want to be successful in it, you have to be really immersed in it like you are. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, and to be honest, I'm kind of thankful that I, I've gotten, uh, so my partner, uh, Zach on this, uh, he's a Ruby on rails programmer and really, a really hard kind of Bitcoin enthusiasts. And, uh, so I'm more kind of the business end of it. And so we're able to work together to kind of, to kind of get this off the ground. Yeah, that's definitely a perfect partnership. Uh, so in the, in the old gold mining days, uh, who were, you know, what were some of the, the possible services that made money? There was restaurants, yeah. uh, hold, like hotels or a combination, uh, post office guys. Yeah. That, that all started from there. What, what else was there? Uh, let's see. Prostitutes. Yeah, of course. A lot of money. Bars. I was there. Bars, yeah. Yeah. I mean, everything to keep the, the miners happy. And what's interesting, too, is I used to live in a mining town in Canada. Oh, and, right uh, in in this place called Fort McMurray, Alberta, uh, where, I don't know, you've got uh, girl to guy or a guy to girl ratio of probably like five to one, something like this. And, you know, it's like uh, the joke isn't like, uh, oh, you know, what's what's that? You got something in your pocket? No, it's not a banana. It's your wallet, right? <laughs> <laughs> And so, uh, so yeah, it's interesting, been an interesting journey kind of going from the, from being in a, I guess, a, an oil mining town, if you will, cause that's in the, the oil sands where they're actually, they have to physically dig it up and then process it to get the oil out, uh, into the, the world of Bitcoins. Yeah. And you know, it's, it's, I guess it's almost the same thing where like, you know, before they used to mine for gold or mine for silver and you can only mine so fast and there's only so much silver. So it's not like overnight, you know, it's it's going to flood the market. Um, and if it does, there's companies like De Beers where they control the flooding the market by, by doing all the mining and not letting all the diamonds get released so quickly. Mm -hmm. So, you know, with, with the Bitcoin mining, I'm, it sounds like, I, you know, I don't, I, I don't know any of the, the tech stuff behind it, but it sounds like they figure out a way to really control it. So it doesn't, it doesn't flood the market too quickly. Yeah, absolutely. It's kind of, uh, I've been, I'd say well planned out. It is still, uh, I mean, the founders are anonymous behind it, uh, but uh, it's something that uh, a lot of people all over the world have faith in. So, uh, and I'm a believer. You know, I almost bought Bitcoins a couple years ago uh, when I, I stumbled on this website called the Silk Road, which got some publicity recently. Uh, I think the owner got thrown in jail. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's uh, yeah. Silk Road's now shut down, but it was, uh, I guess, a place where you could buy and sell pretty well everything. Yeah, it was the the deep web, and I remember getting into it because somebody had mentioned it, and I didn't believe it existed. Uh, and they they said, you know, you can buy anything on here. You can buy rocket launchers, AK forty sevens. You can buy slaves. You can buy drugs. You know, 
And I, I, I didn't believe it was there. So I, I really, it really took me a long time to find it. You know, and you couldn't even use your normal browser. You couldn't use Chrome or, um, or Internet Explorer. You had to have a special Tor browser to even, to even see it. Uh, anyway, so, so somehow I got in and I started looking around and you know, I'm pretty thankful I never actually ordered any illegal drugs on there because I'm sure they're cracking down on everyone now. But the one thing that, you know, really sparked my interest was giving people microloans and having these crazy huge interest rate returns. And God knows what people are going to actually do with these loans. I'm pretty sure most of the loans were to drug dealers for them to buy, you know, a big stash of whatever drug they were peddling. Uh, and then when they sell it off, they pay you back with interest. And, you know, from a business point of view, it made sense where they need the cash to buy a boatload of, of ecstasy pills or, you know, a couple, like, I don't know, a couple pounds of weed. And then when they sell it on the Silk Road or in person, they would have more than enough cash to give you money back and interest and buy more. Uh, so I actually tried to buy some Bitcoins so I can, you know, I can invest in these anonymous, you know, drug dealers online. Uh, but it was so complicated to buy the Bitcoins. And I, I honestly just couldn't, couldn't figure out how to do it. I, I somehow figured out how to get into this deep web, but I couldn't figure out how to buy a damn Bitcoin at the time. Yeah, it's definitely a, a technological challenge in order to, I mean, just get in there. And that's where there's really some, an opportunity is to find a better way of doing it. And uh, I don't know. I, so I was listening to the, the Entrepreneur on Fire podcast before. And one of the uh, one of the guests on there talked about, you know, the, the parable, like uh, you give a man a fish, you feed him for a day, you teach a man a fish, you feed him for, you know, a lifetime. Mm -hmm. uh, but the thing is, like, the guy just wants the fish. So if yeah. you can just find a way of giving him the fish <laughs> a little, you know, easier than uh, him having to do it himself, then uh, you can really find a niche that, that makes sense and that'll make money. So here's a business for everyone listening right now. You figure out how to buy Bitcoins, set up a pay, like a PayPal payment you know, button and sell the Bitcoins at a premium. <laughs> yeah, I mean, absolutely. Because it, uh... it, it'll make my, you know, everyone's job easier. Uh, I mean, that could be your, your e-commerce store. Go on Shopify, set up a little e-commerce store, do it through a PayPal, you know, checkout button, whatever there is. You know, figure out these services around Bitcoins that make money, not necessarily mining it yourself. Because if you're trying to mine it yourself, it's a lot of work, right? Yeah. The hardware is expensive, takes a lot of labor. Well, the thing is, though, is like you can get into hardware relatively cheaply. I mean, uh, the smaller USB sticks that you can buy now, um, you know, I mean, you can get into it for maybe $50 or uh, if you want to buy something a little more higher power, like, you know, 100 to $300 and you can have kind of like a small rig that'll that'll be making you uh, some money. So, but the challenge is when you're, when you're buying into like a, I guess a mining tool, if you will. Uh, so the difficulty is always going up. So whatever you're going to be mining at, it's always going to be kind of decreasing as more machines come online. Uh, and the other thing too, is that the, uh, it's all based on the, the price of Bitcoins, which is very volatile. And so if you're going to make an investment, uh, I would, you know, suggest making a very something that would be reasonable for you that you could actually lose because it's not something that is uh, a surefire thing. Uh, it is of a speculative nature and uh, you don't want to bet the house on it, right? Yeah, but it's also kind of exciting at the same time. I think this is going to be one of those things where people are going to look back five, ten years from now and there's going to be millionaires made from, from Bitcoins. 
Absolutely, and there already are. Uh, I was actually talking to my business partner today, and he was saying uh, he met uh, the the guy. He didn't know he was the guy at, at the time. Uh, I guess the the one guy in China that has the most bitcoins out of everybody. And uh, he's just a, he's a teacher in Beijing. Uh, he decided to invest some money back in 2009, and now he's got over 100 million dollars worth of bitcoins. You know? Oh my God, it's insane! I so wish I would have bought some bitcoins and loaned them out to these random dudes online. <laughs> Yeah, so I guess that's the challenge, right? Like, as trying to be, a, I guess, a first mover can be really scary, but uh, it can be rewarding too. So it reminds me of—I uh, don't know if you ever played this board game called Cash Flow One Hundred One. Oh yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I've and, been there. Yeah, and there's this one stock opportunity where it was like super cheap to buy in that, and most people would just buy like a hundred shares of it, even though they could, you know, bet the house on it. And the way I figured out how to kind of hack that game and, and be like a multi-millionaire is to take out crazy loans to buy this like cheap stock. <laughs> and when you when you go to sell it, like you just hit it big. Yeah. And uh, but then again, that's the challenge, right? It's like Bitcoin has risen pretty considerably over the last year. Uh, and so maybe it's time to wait for, for a dip. But, uh, you know, only time will tell exactly where it'll go. Have you seen that movie Wolf on Wall Street? Yeah, I haven't actually seen it. It's on my things to do list. Man, though. it is so good. Yeah? Like, I I highly recommend this movie that I've been watching. It's three hours long, which seems insane. And, and you, you wonder two things before you watch it. One is, isn't there some stuff they could have cut out? And second, why didn't they split this, split this into two movies? But when you watch it, you'll realize that there is nothing they could have taken out of this. It was nonstop emotional roller coaster for three hours. And, like, you... Like you you don't even want to blink like you're that excited for the entire time that you're just like wow uh, my girlfriend that watched it with me she wanted she needed to pee and didn't want to get up because she didn't want to miss anything and you know she's not even into business or finance or stocks and but she was just she loved it so you know for me for a guy that really likes money you know oh man it was i would go watch it again i would sit through, through that three-hour movie again in a heartbeat and there's no way they could have split that into two movies because it was just like this huge build up to this huge climax and like and th- there's no way they could have just split it in the middle. So is that good? That good, buddy. Whoa, I'm on it. All right, do it. Uh, and the movie theaters out here are super cheap. Uh, there's one down the street. This new mall just opened up called Maya, and it's you know Chiang Mai had one mall before or it had two it had a really old crappy one and had the airport plaza mall which was decent it was always decent nice cinema uh, but I heard they're opening 17 new malls in the next couple of years Woo. so this city is blowing up it's uh, these malls are world class they are better than the malls in California better than you know the mall of America and Minnesota <laughs> and it's the same thing in Chengdu where I'm living in China it's just exciting you know, like in Canada, it took them a year, where I used to live, it took them a year in order to build an overpass on like a, a four-lane highway kind of thing. And in Chengdu, in the same period of time, they built a four-lane double-decker highway around the city. Uh, and it's just, uh, it's exciting. You know, there's a pulse here in Asia that really, uh, I mean, we don't have that going on in North America right now where everything's kind of set. And uh, things are moving so fast that the, the opportunities are just, uh, kind of endless in a sense. Yeah, it's a combination of a lot of money to be made, a lot of money to be spent, and no regulations. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, we got some regulations in China, but uh, <laughs> but yeah, I guess we won't dive into that topic today. Okay, <laughs> in case uh, 
Mr. Mal there is uh, monitoring us. I, I won't say his name. <laughs> but out here, it's uh, so it seems silly that we, you know, we're excited about a mall coming up. Especially there's, you know, all these amazing, you know, things that aren't a mall. But what's nice about it is first they built the malls kind of all around the outside ring of of the suburbs, like where the city turns into the suburbs. And what that does is it actually decreases traffic within the city because it encourages more people to live a little bit further out of the city, but also the people with cars, they drive and park in these parking lots and malls outside. So I've already seen you know, there'd be a traffic relief on you know these streets, like where we are, this is Neiman Heyman, um, because you know, instead of people shopping here or eating here, they go, you know, they drive out out of the city and go to the malls. So, you know, that's a great idea. Uh, second, if you ever need anything, it's so easy to get it now. Like one of the biggest complaints I had in the last four years I've been living here, and I know this is a big complaint in China, is just being able to buy quality stuff. Yeah, uh, but in uh, in China now, the rise of, uh, and just to touch on that, online shopping is incredible. Like, unbelievable. Like, the, uh, the I can buy... So, I'm from St. John, New Brunswick. There are uh, Moosehead beers brewed in St. John, New Brunswick. Uh, for an extra 25 cents, uh, you know, American cents, I can have a bottle of beer delivered to me in my house, ordered on the same day from uh, JD.com, an online uh, shopping site in China, uh, individually packaged with free delivery uh, than I can actually in my hometown. Wow. That and, is insane. Uh, it, it's insane. They're they're killing it with online shopping in China, and uh, I guess it it has to do with a combination of free delivery and an excellent supply chain. And uh, so it's just it's really interesting to know that China is coming online big time uh, to do with online shopping. You know, I'm glad that's happening because for the past couple of years, everyone I knew that lived in China would complain that let's say they wanted to buy a quality jacket, let's say they want to buy a North Face jacket, even though it was made in China. They would have to. It would. They wouldn't be able to buy it locally, or even at a mall locally. They would have to buy it from the U.S. or from Canada and have it shipped back here. And often it was a lot more expensive than they had just bought it in the U.S. in the first place. Yeah, and that that is a challenge as well. I guess the some things are cheap in China, but when you're importing it, even if it is a made in China kind of brand uh, or made in China product, it is very expensive for imports. Uh, and so that has to do with their taxation as well. Like there's no sales tax, but there's a huge import tax. So that's how they kind of rock that. Makes sense. Well, one nice thing about having um, these new malls pop up, there's stores that sell like, you know, clothes that actually fit Western people. Uh, that, that was also a big problem is living in, in Thailand, I was never able to really buy clothes besides kind of cheap knockoff stuff in the night market. And those are fun for souvenirs. But if you're wearing it every day and you just want, like, let's say you want a normal t-shirt, right? Let's say yeah, you want yeah. a normal V-neck t-shirt that normally you would buy at like H&M or, you know, um, like Gap, right? You can't buy it here, right? Like it just... It wouldn't fit. There's no. There's nowhere to buy it. But now that there's these malls, we have H&M, we have uh, Unico, we have all these stores. So really, there's nothing that you really miss from back home anymore, and it's not any more expensive. Mm. Um, and if you need to buy, you know, let's say, you know, you're really into kind of natural foods, and like you want, or let's say, I want to buy like, you know, virgin coconut oil. If I want to buy like natural shampoos, you, you can buy all that stuff here now too, which is nice. 
Yeah, absolutely. And that's another interesting thing. When I moved to China, uh, when you think of kind of like West China, uh, I guess when I first thought of it, I, I kind of thought, oh, you know, maybe a little bit of a poorer place or like, uh, but the, the wealth that's in the city where I'm living in, in Chengdu, it's absolutely incredible. Like the, I mean, you're just, and every given day, every day when you're walking down, you see like Bentleys and Rolls Royces and like, you know, the occasional Maybach driving around and like, they just, uh, I mean, as the China, as China's kind of risen, risen uh, just the wealth is really incredible. And that's where a lot of these services and businesses come along uh, in order to service, uh, I guess, Western expats as well as like our wealthy Chinese uh, so if you do decide to move to China, uh, you will pretty well have access to everything that you want to purchase uh, at reasonably about the same prices, uh, maybe a little bit more for some imported goods. But uh, it's not the China of old where it was only, you know, chopsticks and noodles. Uh, <laughs> well, it also depends on where in China you go. Uh, it sounds like Chengdu is a really great place. I had a friend, she was teaching English in Wuhan most polluted place in China and she said there was nothing there it was really hard you know it was hard she would joke around about eating Wuhan pizza or like you know eating like you know aka cardboard (laughs) yeah so you know I guess it really depends on that Um, I I was in Shanghai exactly a year ago during Chinese New Year and they, they yes they had everything they had great malls they had you know like fancy everything um but I just didn't like the environment. I didn't feel. I didn't like how everyone valued money more than anything else. Uh, and I think that's why I really like living here in, in Chiang Mai. Is there's not you know there's there's enough entrepreneurs out here, especially the Westerners, where you still feel driven. You don't get too lazy. But at the same time, people really value health. They they value friendships. They value loyalty more than they value money, which isn't a, a big sense I get in, in China. Yeah, what's interesting with the Chinese is like they're kind of hard to crack as like, uh, you know, meeting some friends and like that kind of thing. But like once you're friends, you're friends for life. Mm-hmm. And they're, it's just a matter of like the, it's very different culture. Like uh, when somebody asks, says to you, oh, you're looking fat. It's, it's actually a compliment. It means I'm interested in your life. I want to, you know, I'm interested in your well-being. Uh, it's not actually something negative. And so just because you have so many people in China at all, it's kind of like an integrated, integrated network of, uh, of friends and relationships. And, uh, and so I guess there is that, that love of money that's there, uh, but it's not the only thing there. Yeah, but I definitely agree with you with the culture wise. When someone's like in your circle, they're your friend, uh, you treat them like family and they're really, really generous to each other. Uh, every single time I eat food with a Chinese friend, first, there's always, they always invite, you know, five other friends that become your best friends. And they all, like, no, they never let me pay for the bill. They always fight for the bill. And, you know, they really try to help each other out. They like, they really, tr- you know, I guess because. It's kind of like a us versus them kind of thing where you're in my inner circle, so I'm going to treat you like gold. Uh, and because everyone else, else out there is either trying to screw us or, you know, they can't, you know, they're not part of this group. Yeah, exactly. And that's where the Chinese guanxi, like the relationship based kind of like uh, if you're looking to do business in China, it's uh, starting meeting someone and then building that relationship and kind of uh, working together so that you can both kind of mutually gain uh kind of works out. I mean, that's a great business for anyone that wants to live in China, to, you know, to develop these these networks and basically just be 
the the introducer like so let's say someone in canada or the u.s wants to do business in china instead of them getting ripped off in alibaba with some you know mani- cold manufacturer plant that they don't really know uh, where they're just gonna nickel and dime you after you've you've committed uh if you actually have a relationship you have someone you know you man on the ground in chengdu you know it's it makes it so much easier right yeah absolutely and uh to do with the quality standards too like I mean, you can go to uh, any of these sourcing fairs and things, and you can buy a set of Bose headphones for anywhere from a dollar to two hundred dollars. And it just—it basically what matters, or uh, what it depends on, is the quality that you're purchasing. And so, whenever you're doing business in China, the brand doesn't mean anything, uh, but that's where you can add value in terms of doing some quality control and making sure that uh, your customer is getting what they actually expect. So that's great, you know, China-based business. Let's talk a little bit more about the service-based businesses around Bitcoin. What are some possible business ideas? You know, kind of like the the you know the services around mining. What services around Bitcoin do you see popping up? I really like the uh, services around making Bitcoin more accessible and easily uh, transferred. So having to do with uh, regional Bitcoin uh, exchanges, uh, I guess specific areas where you're uh you're working on servicing like a a particular industry um and uh and i think the real value there is by being able to build this alternative means of uh transferring money uh is that uh i mean you're able to save a substantial amount on the the actual transaction uh in terms of currency exchange uh and it just it's very easy to use how about an app for Shopify or, or big commerce that accepts Bitcoin as payment. I mean, you can be the next PayPal. Yeah, love it. Yeah, absolutely. There you go, guys. That's a fucking million dollar idea right there. <laughs> uh, I mean, for those who don't know, uh, so Shopify is the e-commerce platform I use and it's used by I don't know, thousands of people and they used to be powered by Stripe uh, for their for the payment system and it wasn't built in it was they were the platform and then if you wanted to accept payment you had to go through a third party uh, either paypal stripe or there's some other ones and they were killing it so much i mean these companies like stripe were taking you know 2.5 percent off of each transaction you know over hundreds and hundreds maybe you know millions and millions of dollars worth of transactions and they were making so much money that shopify bought them out and they said, look, you're making more money than us. <laughs> Either we buy you out or become partners uh, or, you know, we're going to kick you off our, our system and we're going to take a, You know, we're going to make our own uh, because they saw where the money is. So, you know, follow the money, guys. And there, there's seriously, this is the next gold rush. Yeah, absolutely. Well, really cool having you on the show. Uh, if people want to find you, where, where can they go? Yeah, so uh, AaronShearheart.com or you can find me on Twitter, Aaron Shearheart, and that's uh, T-S-C-H, kind of like, it uh, looks like t-shirt. <laughs> it actually does look, look like t-shirt. Um, actually, you know what? Go to travellikeabosspodcast.com and look for episode 21 in the show notes, and I'll have links to, to Aaron's website, his Twitter, and um, how to get in touch with him. And uh, then, yeah, if you're ever uh, in Chengdu or you're looking, uh, I don't know, to connect with some entrepreneurs and uh, in Chengdu or in Sichuan, uh, yeah, just give me a shout. Uh, I guess I also offer like a free mentor-mentee matching service for, for people that are looking to actually sit down with someone more experienced to kind of give them a little bit of uh, advice. And uh, yeah, look forward to connecting with you. 
very cool well thanks for being on the show Aaron and everyone uh, thanks so much for all those positive reviews uh, for the, all those new five, five star iTunes reviews and for sharing the Child Like a Boss podcast I uh, really appreciate you guys listening and I'll see you guys next week peace out thank you for listening to the Travel Like a Boss podcast if you want to hear more including the bonus how to choose the perfect niche episode join our mailing list at travellikeabosspodcast.com See you next week. And remember, if you want to travel like a boss, you need to be your own boss. So start your online business today and start living the lifestyle you've always dreamed of.